You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 333. Hello and welcome back to another regular podcast here on the Outdoor Station. This is the second part of the interview with David Linton, who recently completed a 500-mile journey along the border of France and Spain using the high mountain routes of the Pyrenees, mostly the HRP, and wild camping on the way, including a week's detour into Spain and the Odessa Canyon during his 60-day trip. In the first part, he talked about his preparations and the gradual changes which came over him as he left his normal urban world behind. Here we begin to get into the nitty-gritty of the trip, the people and the equipment needed. Plus, of course, the commitment and costs of taking 60 days off work. Please view his blog while you listen to this, which is selfpowered.net, as it's full of images from the trip, and there are plenty of eloquent, amusing and interesting observations of the people he met and the places he travelled through. We continue where David starts to describe some of the people he walked with and the strangers he met en route, who soon became good friends. So, okay, um... Certainly, uh, I mean, there's the people that I was walking with um, who um, I think it's fair to say, I don't think they'd mind me saying, you know, they had sort of different levels of experience. So sometimes that, you know, there were, there were one or two interesting moments because of that. Um, and I had to, um, I guess, re, I had to look again at, at sort of um, my role in that and, and whether I was leading or not and, and, and sort of step up to the plate a little bit in that way because I had to sort of make sure that I, or I tried to look after the people that I was walking with, my friends. Um, and, you know, I didn't always get that right, I have to say. Um, so there, there's, there's the people that, that came along with me. And then there's an, another guy that um, I met and mentioned earlier, Andy, who... Um, he was really, he's actually someone who got in touch with me before the walk started through through the blog and um, just was asking sort of questions about stoves and this, that and the other. And, I mean, I'm hardly an expert, but anyway, I tried to answer the best I could. Um, and anyway, we, we sort of said, oh, well, look, I might, I might see you in Leskin. As it turns out, we, we bumped into each other. And then much later on, we walked, we basically walked the, most of the last stage, the last week or so together. And... The great thing about Andy is that um, he's he's uh, quite quite a, quite a naturalist, and um, he knows quite a lot about flora and fauna. And, and I'm very much playing catch up on all that stuff. And it was just great to to walk with to walk with him. And um, it's just a whole other layer. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I'm sure, I'm, I'm hopefully, some of your listeners are preaching to the converted. They'll be thinking, "Oh God, this bloody idiot! It's just a walker." But um, it, walking with Andy, that really showed me. It really opened it up. So I'm, you know, I've I've bought myself a uh, a small pair of binoculars now and I'm going to be getting a bird book and a, and a flower book and I'm really interested in, in, in sort of opening that up and we were talking about rock formations and that's I'm quite interested in geology so that was my little contribution um, to that thing so so walking with Andy that's the first person and just to sort of talk about he was really um, a really interesting bloke to walk with and, and lots of um, ideas about what constitutes wild land and, and this that and the other and um, then then there were. Let's see. We've got um, got uh, I bumped into um, uh, someone from a Swiss girl called Sarah, um, and um, she was also great. She's she's an absolute nutcase. She um, she basically she's a teacher in um, in 
in in in Switzerland, and uh, basically she she the last day of school she'll get on a train, and she'll come back the day before she has to be back at school in September or end of August, and she basically spends or has spent every day of her summer holiday for the last seven years walking either in the Pyrenees or in the Alps. And her approach is not to basically she just gets the maps and decides where she's going on the day. Um, so, you know, hats off to her. She's sort of a really adventurous character. And, and, you know, I mean, there's, there's kind of nothing of her as well. A real sort of, you know, uh, sort of a real sort of slip of a thing. And, um, but she was, you know, she was like sort of, you know, afterwards we were like, you know, Jedi master, you know, you're, this girl really knows what she's, what she's doing. Fantastic character. Um, and then an American guy that, um, uh, you know, he was very into, he was, um, it was his first time in Europe walking and he was very into his, um, into sort of his sort of ultralight kind of stuff. So for him, it was very much about, um, uh, you know, he had, he'd, he'd shipped all his food in and, and, and it was, it was kind of like, a, um, it was very much a sort of an exercise in testing, uh, strategies and equipment and that kind of thing. And I think he was also really enjoying the walk, but he, that was, that side of things was quite strong for him. Um, another English couple we met who, I think uh, Jan and Chris, I met them in the first week, um, both um, both uh, in their, I think they sort of early retired and um, I sort of once I found out that they'd um, retired early, I said, oh, so, you know, what, you know, they're really, really fit. They were walking me into the ground um, and um, I said, so why aren't you doing the whole thing? And they said, oh, well, you know, we're, we've got a climbing holiday and a biking holiday to do after this so um <laughs> so, so then you know the Pyrenees was just the warm-up for them so so now the, the people I mean uh, you know or kind of obviously really the people you meet are, are great and especially if you I think if if you're walking on your own then it's it's easier to meet people and 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 it makes those because you spend some of your time on your own it, it means that when you're when you do meet up with people then those um those encounters are um, you know, they, they they mean something, and you get to know people quite well, quite quickly. Mm. I think mm. so. Uh, I, I really, um, yeah, I really valued that. And it, it, a lot of the time, I guess our meetings with people are quite fleeting and transitory, and a bit rushed sometimes. I think in the city, and certainly it can be for me. Um, so you meet lots of people, but you don't necessarily always spend as much quality time with them as you'd like. And and I think one of the nice things about doing something like this is. It, it, you know, because it's a longer walk as well, you give yourself time to meet people and meet them in a nice way, you know, meet them at spends, you know, I bumped into, for example, also bumped into um, someone that um, might be known to some of the listeners, uh, a guy called Humphrey Waitman. Um, so, I mean, and just totally randomly, I'd never met him before, but I, I, again, I'm sort of familiar with him through reading about the TGO and that kind of thing. And, um, and that was fantastic. So we just spent an hour and a half... Um, uh, talking to Humphrey, and he's he's a he's got a wealth of information about the um, about the Pyrenees. He's been walking there, I think, probably for about twelve years. So, I mean, you know, he really is the the fountain of all knowledge, as far as I was concerned. I was blown away by how much how much sort of political and economic and social history he knew about the, especially the Eastern Pyrenees. He's just you know he was amazing. To, mm. to, and he to, also knows all the good places to eat as well. 
Yeah, no, very and drink as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, full of it, full of practical tips, and as well as all the sort of you know the the historical and, and political background. So, so it's great it, that side of things was great because you just you know we all have our own way of doing things, and I have mine, uh, and which is different to everyone else's or different to a lot of people's. And so it's nice to get a different context, isn't it? Like sort mm. of you know with with Andy, it was the the, the sort of the the naturalist stuff, and and with Humphrey, it was sort of definitely the sort of history and the and the food and drink and and that kind of thing so um and with you know um, matt the american guy it was very much about kit and sort of getting lots of tips off him about kit and so it's really it's great that mm. side of things um, and what about the sort of um you know the people you observe the day trippers and the uh, the tourists who we say the the short walkers or uh, section walkers or whatever you know you're again on the blog you sort of make some comments about um people being part of the environment and people being you know existing on top of the environment as it were did any observations you've got about people on that yeah, I don't think that necessarily. I don't think I was necessarily meaning um, sort of day trippers or, or you know, as vis a vis sort of uh, through hikers or whatever. I think you know, I think you can. I think people can engage on on. I think any level of engagement is a great thing. I mean, let's you know. I mean, hey, you know, it's 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 the outdoors and. You know, I mean, I, I, for example, right now I'm sitting looking out, out of my window. I'm looking at a brick wall. That's that's the view I have out of my window. Um, I'd prefer it if it was different, um, but uh, that's the way it is. So, so any level of in, you know, if if some pe- if we can get out, and if you can only get out for half a day, then then hey, that's that's great. But um, uh, certainly, what I found because this is the longest stretch of time I've spent walking, I definitely felt like I was more embedded in in the environment or in the in the um in the experience uh because i gave it the time and i know this is something you you mentioned um chris townsend earlier and that's something that obviously he speaks very eloquently about um uh you know in the it's you know to be honest in a sense it the 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 the, the mileage is irrelevant. What, what's important is the time. And so as you sort of, you know, as you become fitter and, and the kind of the stresses of, you know, you, you know your, your complicated relationship, work life, kind of, they, as they kind of get, as they, you know, the longer you walk, the, the further they seem away. Um, and um, certainly I felt closer to, to the experience after, you know, after a few weeks or after a month and then, you know, by by the end, it's it's quite confusing because you're, um, you know, it's kind of all you know how to do, really. Uh, sort of, well, the first time we saw the sea, I was, I did think, you know, well, that's it then. What am I going to do after this? You know, what, this it's that's quite. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, yourself and and other people will recognise perhaps that feeling is kind of well. This is this is kind of me. I, I get up in the morning and I walk. This is this is you know. So so what happens after? It was, it was a little. It was alarming. It was I was I was concerned. It genuinely took me by surprise because you know that, you know the longest I'd ever sort of backpacked for was was two two and a half weeks. So so that thing at the end that happened. We got up onto the top of um, a, a mountain, uh, Kanagi, which is quite the, the sort of the last big one in the east. And you can see you basically you can see the sea. At the at, on the top of there, and then um, it was it. You know, I I I did have a you know I did have a uh, uh, no no no. It's just grit in my eye. No, honestly, you know, sort of you know, I was a, a, a bit of a. It was I had a bit of a, a few moments up there where I was genuinely wondering. Well, you know, well, 
maybe I should just, maybe we should just turn around and walk back, you know. Oh, so do, you know <laughs> do you know, well, there, there's, there's a customer we've got that, that um, does that. He walks the coast of Spain. Uh-huh. And he gets from from obviously from his from to the end point, and then mm. he just turns around and walks back again, and that's how he spends his time. He comes home for a very short period of time, sort of a few weeks, a month or so, to sort things out, and then he goes again. Wow! And it's just it sounded ridiculous at first hearing, and then you know once you've experienced a, that sensation of of the open road, as it were, and some of the benefits mm. it can bring, you think, well, actually, why not? You know, if you can afford to do it, why not? With over a million listeners worldwide, The Outdoor Station is the leading online audio resource for those into the great outdoors. Because in the States they call it yo-yoing, don't they? Um, And um, I'd read about that before and thought, well, that would be a bit, seems a bit pointless. But but having been there now, I can see how coming back the other way, it would be a completely different walk. Because the other Mm -hmm. thing that happens on a long walk, of course, is that you you get a sense of the seasons mm. changing. I mean, and then, you know, at the start of the walk, it was, um, you know, 35 degrees in the shade. And by the end of the walk, we had, you know, it, it was minus seven at a couple of nights. So, and, 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 you know, you're losing an hour off the, or an hour and a quarter off the, um, you know, it's the sun setting an hour and a quarter earlier. So um, that sense of being embedded in the, in the, in the walk or in the, in the land or, you know, certainly in the walk anyway, um, that's even you know because you're walking such a long way or for a long time rather um this because the seasons are changing as well that kind of that really you know the whole thing becomes you know you're sort of part of this sort of cyclical process and yeah so that really helps with the kind of feeling in touch side of things which is how i guess that was your original question wasn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. well the, the other couple of things this leads on to then before we start talking about kit and, and sort of bring things to an end is the technology you know uh, what are your thoughts on on people that carry technology with them their entertainment their their contact, their systems, or whatever. And do you think people are 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 scared of keeping things simple, of the basics, of being away from technology and having to rely on themselves? Okay, it's kind of yes. There's sort of a few different strands there. So, for me, what I had was um, I used an iPhone, and because I was uh, doing the walk for charity, I did feel like. Um, Certainly for those people who donated, I felt like it was by way of a little thank you, if if for no other reason, I wanted to kind of keep them in touch. And so when I could, I wasn't kind of, you know, I didn't come down to send, to to blog or to to send photos but when i could when i when there was reception i i did you know upload a photo to twitter or facebook or wherever it was and and i kind of felt like that was part of my if you like my role as a sort of my role as a fundraiser really and 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 just to kind of keep people engaged and and just as an aside off that people did seem to when a few people i've spoken to since they they genuinely appreciated that level of involvement they they engaged more they engaged in the story if you like because it's it's nice to follow that stuff and you know it just means that they're not um they're not just giving to like a sponsored walk and they're not hearing anything about it so so that's what i did that's what i chose to do i'm i'm a bit loath to say um you know there's that there's there's rules and 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 uh, you know what worked for me should be how everyone else does it you know so if people want to carry um, uh, t- 
technology stuff with them and and that helps them get out and um, helps them feel comfortable then then that's kind of okay i mean obviously there is a point where i would also argue where if you're carrying everything with you and if you put that in front of the walk and the experience then you can't uh, for me that would be i'd feel like i was missing out so i mean i definitely take your point about simplicity i mean it's it's kind of all about that isn't it i mean it's that's that's where for me the kind of the lightweight side of things i mean we'll get onto gear in a minute but that's where for me the lightweight thing makes a whole heap more sense you know it's not just gear for gear's sake it's actually gear to, to strip things down if you're stripping things down they become lighter but they also become more simple and then you know and then you're going to have a you have a more direct experience so so i mean you know i always go back to you know if if it's it's good on whatever level people can get out and if they if they want to carry a phone with them to make them feel safe or a gps i mean i don't tend to use a gps but if that's if that's what it takes to get them out then that's great but um uh, obviously you don't want to you don't want to be surrounded by all the stuff that you have when you're not out because then you might as well be in <laughs> um so i don't know if that if that kind of answers your question in a very indirect way well, that leads us nicely on to uh, the equipment uh, you, you, you took with you. Obviously, we've referred to it a few times that uh, you had great consideration to, to, towards keeping things simple and keeping things light. So just give us sort of a, a, a basic overview of sort of the gear that you took, you know, the rucksack you carried and the sort of things you had in it on a, on a daily basis. So again, because I'm new to backpacking, I'm sort of fairly new to the lightweight thing. And certainly one, the, the lightweight thing certainly helped me get... Um, I think I, I think to be honest, I would have struggled to do this walk if I was still carrying around sort of you know fifteen kilograms or whatever I was doing when I was sixteen. Um, uh, you know, before I stopped because it all got too heavy. Um, so um, uh, the bag was a, a Go Light Pinnacle. Um, uh, I think actually I might have bought that from from you and Rose a, a year or two ago, um, and. Um, the base weight was around about, I think it ended up being around about, give or take a couple of uh, 100 grams, it was about 9 kilos. Um, and of course, that doesn't allow for, for food and water, which um, once you start adding that in, it's, it gets very quickly, it gets quite uncomfortable, particularly if you're doing, I don't know, 1,000 metres or 1,200 metres before lunchtime. <laughs> so, so um, which, you know, the, the ascents and descents on the HLP are pretty he- heavy duty. So, um, so, yeah, but what the great thing about that, just, you know, without getting into too much detail, the great thing about the Pinnacle is that you can, uh, effectively, you can pack it quite small and then it's got that sort of bit at the top, which I kind of view as my food store. It kind of the, the roll top thing allows you to, to sling a load of food in on just on the top. Your food's generally the heaviest thing, so you, you generally, I generally pack that nearer the top. And, um, and, and, and so the, that big capacity was great for this walk. It just meant that, you know, because the resupply points sometimes in the middle of the walk were sort of seven to ten days. So, you know, you're packing a lot of food. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's a sort of a, a brief resume. Mm-hmm. And then um, sort of sleeping system, shelter system? Okay, so um, I uh, the, one of the new things that I got for this trip, which was untested, um, was a uh, I bought a synthetic quilt, um, mm. and um, that worked out uh, worked out well, except for um, I, 
what was well let's deal with what was good about it what was good about it i didn't miss the insulation on the bottom at all that was absolutely fine um, as a lot of people have written on on other blogs um uh, you know we you compress the insulation when you when you lie down on it anyway so it's kind of irrelevant um what was not so good about the quilt was that I did miss the sort of the cocooning around your head. So it did mean that you always, I always had to wear a hat and I always had to wear, usually I was wearing my down jacket in underneath the quilt as well. But I'd, I'd kind of devised that, you know, I'd, I'd effectively, I cut a bit of weight with the quilt. What, what, knew, what actual quilt was it? What make was it's, it? It was, um, I, I got a, an, it's, called, it's a quilt made by Mountain Laurel Designs, an American cottage industry. Um, cottage, he works out of his garage, I think. Um, and it's called a Spirit 30. And mm. uh, um, yeah, synthetic. The, the synthetic thing's great because it means it dries very quickly. Um, I was using it with a bivy bag. So, you know, condensation can be a bit of an issue. But if you're using a, a synthetic, it, so that was about, I think it was about 500 grams, give or take. Um, and then you, and, you know, I had my down jacket on most of the time, except in the last sort of week or two when it got very warm again. Um, so, but in the middle, I didn't find it warm enough, I have to say. I mean, and that's also partly to do, it was partly to do with the weather, obviously, because we weren't expecting, you know, three-day thunderstorms and, um, you know, hail and snow in, and, uh, you know, lightning storms and all sorts of things that happened in the middle. But... Um, uh, generally speaking, it was a, it was a good buy, um, uh, and it did save a bit of pack weight. So. Okay, so the the bivy bag and the sleeping mat, what was that? Um, the bivy was another MLD thing, and also the the, the shelter I used a trail star, which are now becoming quite popular yes, yes. Um, here in this yeah. in in the UK. And and the trail star I absolutely love. It's a brilliant brilliant device. The the best thing about the trail star is that there's nothing to break on it. Um, so. You know, it did. Um, we had some, as I've just mentioned, we had some horrendous. I've had the worst storms I've ever been in on this trip. Um, uh, I woke up in, you know, woke up in two inches of rain one night. You know, the pole, the the, the wind got so bad that the pole fell out of the tent twice. Um, but the thing is, all that stuff happens. If if any tent that I've ever slept in had been in those conditions the poles would have snapped or guys would have ripped you'd have ripped basically your tent would have been trashed i think my tents that i've had in the past would have would have gone um or in fact there was even one night when um one of the guys i was walking with he brought with him a um a north face it's like a five season it's like a bomber tent um and that actually that actually blew away we had to run after it and catch it and the trail star was still standing mm. so um so the trail star was great. Um, the, the sleeping mat was another new thing, and 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 um, I don't know if I should mention sort of brands or names. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Do it's always it, interesting. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge success, as to be said. It's a. It was a. It's a POE Ether Elite, and for the first two weeks, it was. Um, again, it was brand new. Um, I've always shied away from inflatables because I thought, well, you know, the, if it can, if you're blowing it up, surely it can pop. Um, and um, anyway, first two weeks, really, really super comfortable. Why, why didn't I do this years ago? I was just great. I'm getting s- such a good night's sleep. And, um, and then after about two weeks, the valve went. Um, and from what I can gather, I'm not the only one who's yeah, had yeah. If it was Yeah, if it's the full-length one, it's, uh, the, the first batch has a, had, had a few valve issues. No, this, this, was a, this was a two-thirds one, and I, oh, only really? bought, I only bought it in June. So, oh. um, 
So I, I, I understand the company has had some recall issues. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, um, so, but uh, hopefully they'll get that ironed out because otherwise it was a really, really comfy, comfy thing. And I was, mm. I was, I was in, you know, I was, I was thinking, this is, this is great. This is like the best thing I've ever got ever. You know, I was loving it until, until of course you're, you're blowing it out four or five times a night, in which case the, the novelty wears off pretty yes. quickly. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. I had a very similar experience myself in Scotland. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's not, not, not fun. No. Um, so for footwear with the, with the train you were going over, what did you do? Stick to trail shoes or were you wearing boots? Ah, okay. So, um, this is the thing, because I'm still getting used to the whole lighter weight deal, basically. Um, and because I was carrying, at some points I was carrying a lot of weight, um, I haven't as yet gone the whole hog with trail shoes. I use trail shoes for day hikes, and I still sometimes use boots for um, for through hiking, because I'm, if I'm carrying sort of 10, 12 kilos like to get it down lower than that but um i'm still a little bit nervous about my ankles so that's just that's a work in progress for me so cut a long story short the first two weeks i used keen targi twos um waterproof membranes in the pyrenees absolutely don't do it won't do it ever again just just take you know take yours and andy's and and uh, uh humphrey's advice always in the future and i'll just use um you know basically waterproof less no liner shoes um and basically what happened after two weeks was that my uh there was a lot of rain in on stage two i was carrying i was helping out a mate and carrying some of his sort of excess weight um and my feet started to rot basically i started uh-huh. to because the, the the liner wasn't letting the water out um and we had rain it was really soggy for for on and off for a good week um and the targies otherwise were, were great, but that liner was just a disaster. And, uh, and I got really, you know, I got quite alarmed because my feet were in quite a state. As I said, it's a work in progress for me. I'm trying to get more and more comfy and, and, and what's happening, you know, it's, it's, it's working. I'm strengthening my feet. So, you know, because I'm coming from a place where I used to wear big old, you know, uh, you know uh, brushes or mendels or whatever. So, um, so anyway, what I did then is that I, um, my, uh, my girlfriend came out to do the section of the walk that she planned to do and I asked her to bring I had a, a pair of um Innovate 370s so they're basically like trail shoes but they've got ankles they're like they're, they're the paraboot version mm-hmm. but they're not lined and literally the the day I put those on my feet never looked back and I had healthy pinkies all the way through for the next sort of five weeks so they were absolutely genius and really annoyingly innovate don't make um they only make their boots with gore-tex at the moment so um i'm sort of keep on i keep on uh well i don't keep on but i send the occasional twitter to them to sort of say you know what's happening with the 370s have you started producing them again (laughs) um because i understand that a lot of other people would quite like that um that as well you know they seemed like quite a popular boot at the time and Mm. i missed i missed all of that of course the first time i just managed to find a pair that were were hanging around in someone's warehouse um, uh, and bought them earlier on this year to try them out and they work really well. On the clothing front then, presumably you had sort of one set of dry, one set of uh, wet wearing clothes and, and so on? Or did you have a, bit, a few more changes in your wardrobe? Um, no, it was mostly I used a um, I used an 
an ME shirt, a mountain equipment shirt that was just sort of like a summer hiking shirt. I can't remember the name of the um the name of the the sort of the, the brand if you like for for that, but um that worked well and um that was mainly my day and then I had a a thin merino top that I slept in and that was it was pretty much kind of like day and I'd have a day change and a night change basically. Um the best the best item uh, or the the item I was sort of got quite excited about, and you, you may think it's a bit weird because it was only a pair of shorts. Was a pair of shorts, and they were a pair of Montane um, running shorts, and they were absolutely genius because basically you know, they're, they're a bit like swimming trunks. Um, so it negates the need to wear um, to wear any. <clears throat> if you're, you know, pardon the uh, sort of slightly sensitive area, it negates the need to wear underwear. So, and which is great because if you if it's a hot day, then you're you know you're you're you know you you keep cool and breezy all day, and uh, it also means that there's less to wash, less clothes to wash. You can just you know just wash the shorts through in a in a stream every day or two, and then put them straight back on, and within half an hour they were dry. Um, and um, so they were they were absolutely brilliant. They were just such great things, and. Um, Again, I can't remember the name of the... They're, they're bright orange, you know, about sort of 25 quid, and I, I can't remember the name of the particular brand, but they were made by Montaigne. Podcasting, Podcasting world. world. Award-winning producers of podcasts to inform, inspire, entertain, and encourage people to enjoy a healthy outdoors lifestyle. So you're obviously keeping things simple on the on the clothing front. Um, the final question has to be, of course, uh, the cooking system. The back to the only thing that um, that you haven't mentioned, really. Okay. Um, I was using I earlier on in the year. I um, uh, got in touch with uh, Trail Designs, and um, because again, because the water was for charity, they part they didn't they didn't donate me the whole thing, but they kind of helped me out if you like they part donated at, um uh as as did you and we'll come on to that in a minute um part donated the cookie system i used a tie try which is basically esbit uh meths and wood so this is uh you know the three fuel system um with a fantastic little uh caldera kind of cone thing and that wrapped around a, a pot that that you you know you yourself at um Backpacking Light um, kindly donated, which was the 900, um, 900 mil Avenue pot, which again was absolutely fantastic. It's you know brilliant system. That the whole thing worked really, really well. Um, and the reason, the, I suppose, the main reason it worked really well is because of this this um, this three fuel system. So most of the time, despite the fact that I was walking for up to ten days without resupply, most of the time I wasn't carrying any more than half a liter of meths. Um, because I was able to supplement that with a couple of little bit blocks and um, and wood. So even when there was no wood high up above the tree line, there's about 2,600, 2,700 metres, quite a lot higher than it is for in the UK. But, you know, you collect. we might collect wood lower down, and then if we knew, if we looked at the map and we know, right, we're going to pitch high tonight, then... then um, so, you know, we were able to kind of be sensible about what fuel you were carrying and how much you're carrying so it's a, it's a great great system that that tie try it really it worked really really well um i suppose the only thing i'd say about the um uh, about the the meths is that if you're if you're using it as a three fuel system obviously you get a lot of carbon build up on your pan and that can 
take some of the efficiency out when you're using it then with Esbit or Meth. So there's a sort of, you know, a, cl- a cleanliness issue, if you like. So every now and again, I'd have to really, really scrub the pan just to get all the carbon buildup off. Um, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's, it worked great. It was a it was a perfect solution. So just, just one pan, one uh, mug, I presume, and a spork, and that must have been it? Yep, um, that was it for, for me. And actually, even when my, my girlfriend joined me we just made do with the 900 mil pot and, and she brought out another cup we got two sort of plastic woolies mugs and nothing nothing fancy nothing titanium um and um so yeah two so, you know between the two of us we had one one just under a liter pot and and two um half pint cups and and that was that was us yeah so that packs away quite nicely inside the the pinnacle um did you have a, a luxury item something you'd class as a luxury item well, I had I had the iPhone, which of course is, uh, which is to, to, in some people's book is a, is a luxury. Um, my, I suppose my luxury, my one little bit of um, uh, moral support, if you like, was I I had a um, I I don't really play that well, but I had a harmonica, so I had fifty three grams of G major um, stashed in my Pinnacle side pouch, um, and actually that was it was kind of a it was a bit of a giggle really, and I, I got a bit better at playing it, and um, but actually it sort of you know on those times when you're feeling a bit low um or you're kind of a bit tired you have a bit of a you have a bit of a play a bit of a pop on your harp and um and it was a nice little it was a nice little thing so i was quite glad that i packed that um uh, and, and no no other uh i don't think not off the top of my head no other luxuries apart from those two Mm. So well, let's just conclude then. You, you you sort of came down from your walk at that turning point where you suddenly saw the sea and and you suddenly realised it was it was over. And I, and if you're anything like me, you then start thinking about all the things you're going to go back to or what you've got to do and all the lists that you'd you've spent the last few weeks getting rid of in your head have suddenly mm-hmm. reappear of jobs to be done on this invisible list. But um, I, I presume the ending was there was no great firework display at the ending. It was sort of a sit down, have an ice cream or a beer and a and a paddle in the sea. It was yeah, it was exactly that, and I think um, uh, you know by the time by the time I walked walked in with Andy, the chap I mentioned earlier, and by the time we both got to the end of our two month walk, we'd we'd all we, you know you by the time you get there, you've already arrived, and as you say, you're kind of you're starting to think about okay, well, you know, but I basically spent the last three days kind of getting used to the fact that you know this is this thing's going to be over and i guess you know you're doing a little bit you know without getting too um too deep um you're doing a bit of mourning about it you know you're kind of you you sort of like you're you're feeling like okay i feel quite sad that this is the end but also starting to think about well um you know starting to kind of go over what you might have learned what's changed um and um and, and certainly yeah when we got to the beach we went straight into the sea and then we had a good old paddle around, and floating was wonderful. Just floating in a very salty Mediterranean, a warm, salty Mediterranean was was amazing. Just literally, just taking the weight off. <laughs> um, and uh, and we got out and uh, yeah, went to the ice cream parlour and went and got a couple of beers and sat on the beach and and sat there for quite quite a long, a lot too long actually. Sort of drinking, drinking, drinking a beer or two and having a having a kind of a very normal afternoon on the beachfront really. Uh. Uh, well, for people that, who would like to um, tackle something like this, uh, time aside away from work, uh, is there? Do you have a sort of a, a, a rough figure of of what something like this costs from a from a practical point of view? The actual, I suppose. Well, aside from the actual getting there and getting away again, I suppose the actual doing the walk. 
Um, if we take away, um, okay, so let's take away the, the, the cost of equipping for it. And, um, and also I'm going to take away, for me, I'm going to take away some of the costs of some of the food costs. Cause I'd probably had about half or two thirds of my food brought in or I took half, you know, took it with me as well. Um, I think I probably spent just on the walk, the odd refuge resupply and um well that was it um i probably spent in the region of about 1200 quid um obviously if you are resupplying 100% from from those places along the way then it's going to cost you a bit more although not maybe massively more um maybe it might go up a little bit but uh, the the caveat to mention with that figure, which is fairly low for, I think for a, for a two month trip. Um, the caveat to mention is that we only stayed in paid refuges twice. Mm. Um, we stayed in a hotel once in the middle of the trip. That was a kind of treat for Tanya and I, when we got to, um, Saladu is that we had sort of two nights booked in a, in a, well, it's a very low key sort of, uh, uh, hotel above a bar, a very, very nice place. Um, but um, so basically, you're looking at sort of four nights of accommodation that we paid for. Um, obviously, if you did what um, a lot of the French section hikers were doing, and you stay and you moved refuge to refuge, then you're looking at probably around about forty or fifty pounds a night. Um, which, of course, you know, well, I couldn't have done the trip on on that kind of budget. I don't have, don't didn't have the sort of the, the money. And and obviously, the other thing to factor is that you know, if I, I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm self-employed, so there's also loss of earnings. To mm. I mean, if you start looking at that, then you never do these things. But um, you know, it's it's that's I suppose you know a, a factor. You know. Mm. So so I mean, you haven't really said, but I'm, I'm assuming that you'd recommend the walk. It was a, a great experience that you look back on fondly, and and you would recommend other people to to give it a go. Yeah, um, it's. Um, I think I'm, I might have used the word right at the very beginning. The, the one of the great things about this walk is it's that it's so diverse. So um, I would absolutely wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, it's, it is a challenge to do the whole thing. Um, I'd also kind of recommend it's worth kind of, you know, if you're a bit unsure, it's worth dipping your toe and maybe doing a week or, or 10 days or two weeks doing a section of it. Um, there's, um, there's loads of information. There's a bit of information on my site and there's a bit of information on Andy Howe's site. There's a lot of information, really good information on Andy Howe's site for kind of first trips. It's how I kind of found out a bit more. He's really good on, on, uh, you know, getting, uh, giving access to information about how you might start thinking about doing something in the Pyrenees. Um, on, that's, um, must be this way. Um, his, his, his blog. Um, and, um, uh, just coming back to the variety thing, I mean, you're basically, you move from the sea, one out of the Atlantic Sea, you're moving through the Basque Country, which is green rolling hills, very tricky navigation, and you're then coming up into, um, I guess, the high Pyrenees, some really challenging terrain, boulder fields, snow fields, um, uh, glacier country, um, you know, very temperamental weather potentially. And then down on the other side, you come through one place we haven't mentioned at all is you come through, um, spend a whole 10 days or nearly two weeks coming through Andorra. And it's just the most amazing wild camping country. Just if any, for anyone who's into their wild camping, um, don't go there. Andorra's are, the, the valleys are kind of trashed with, uh, ski resorts and whatnot, but 
high up it's just this incredible wild camping just wild camp after wild camp it's just paradise and just amazing and then down finally down into the mediterranean and of course once you get over those last two mountains carlet and canagy um into the the eastern pyrenees the 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 uh, vegetation changes and the rock changes and it starts to become a lot more mediterranean it gets warmer um, so there's just this huge variety there. It's not just one thing. You're, you know, you, if you do the whole walk, you're, you're just, you're in, you, you know, you move through season, through the season. I moved through, you know, from, from a wet summer to a dry summer to, I guess, the end of summer. And, um, and you're going through all this different terrain and all these different cultures. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So, so in short, absolutely recommended. And yes, get out there and, and, and do it. Yeah. Fantastic walk. Well, David, thanks very much indeed for, for your time and, and certainly uh, detail on such a, a, an enjoyable um, two, well, two months, wasn't it? Two months. Yeah. For, yeah. It's, we certainly feel like I shared it with you and reading the blog, which I'll direct people to again, uh, it certainly gives people a lot more uh, flavour and, and uh, idea with the pictures and so on, exactly what, um, what terrain, what sort of challenges they might be facing and also what you went through yourself. So it, it makes for a fascinating read. It's a very eloquent read, so it's, uh, it's really enjoyable. So thanks for that and thanks for your time. But one final question, of course, is of all the things I could have asked you, what should I have asked you about the trip? Ah, oh, yeah, no, I should have, uh, should have, should have uh, predicted you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think, I think we've. I there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll come back to you. There's, um, I suppose, possibly the the one thing that um, that it would be nice to um, mention is. Um, the two charities that I did the walk for. Oh, absolutely. Um, Sorry, we haven't touched um, on that. We? No, no, it's fine. Um, but the the basically, I mean, you know, I had I had it in my head that I was going to do this thing anyway, and then I thought, well, um, I I work for a charity uh, here in London uh, called Sound Mix, which um, provides um, arts. Basically, we do arts and music with with uh, refugee kids. Um, so that was that was uh, one charity. And um, and the other charity that I tried to raise a bit of money for was a charity called the John Muir Trust, who uh, I, I think will probably be known to a few of the listeners, and certainly a few of the people who do TGO, because a lot of a lot of people who walk in Scotland would have walked across um, some of the land. So um, yeah, the John Muir Trust, and they're a conservation um, and uh, and education charity as well. So um, and that um, should anyone want to. Uh, no pressure but should anyone want to the, the, the link for that page which is still open people can still donate the link for that is, is on the is on the blog so um, yeah My thanks to David for taking the time to share his experience with us and in these dark and gloomy times I hope the conversation has lifted your spirits wherever you're listening to this of course, for much more information about his experiences and the equipment, etc., please check out his blog, selfpowered.net. There's plenty on there to start you thinking about maybe doing something similar. Until next time, folks, tread lightly as you journey, leave no trace, and take only pictures. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk.
You can now follow the Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each program we produce, answer questions, and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.